0: You're listening to the Power of Video podcast, episode number 67. Today, you're gonna learn how to be productive if you've got ADHD, dyslexia, or in my case, if you have both. Now, this has been a super, super sensitive topic for me because I've had both my entire life and I share stories how I dealt with it in high school and in my career. But today, I am bringing on a ADHD dyslexic expert. So if you have it just like we do, we can give you the best, tips and tricks to help you with focus and productivity. Here we go. What's going on, everyone? Thomas Jordan here for another episode. Today, we are joined by ADHD and dyslexic coach for corporations, Christina Proctor. How's it going?
1: It's going pretty well. Thanks for having me today.
0: Yeah, no, I uh, we were just talking off camera on how uh, I struggle with ADHD and dyslexic. So when I found you on TikTok, I was like, oh, we got to Uh, We definitely have to have a conversation because I know there's other creators out there who are, you know, going through the exact same thing. But before we dive into that, how did you get started working with corporations in this sort of field? Because I know even going through school and things like that, there was no Mm -hmm. there was nobody (laughs) to help us out. So I'm just wondering how you how you got there.
1: Yeah. So I work with individuals and larger organizations on uh, how to best empower people who are neurodivergent, which means people who have ADHD, dyslexia, or autism. And I got in this because I myself have ADHD and dyslexia. And I was on the struggle bus for decades about this. And I am actually somebody who was diagnosed late in life, which is very common for women um, because we have a tendency to have a different type of ADHD called inattentive type. And hmm. so that's our hyperactivity essentially is in more in our brain than outwardly. And so, but what that does is it feeds your anxiety. So for me, for, you know, decades, I didn't understand why I just could not all, some function sometimes. I would go really fast for a really long time and have lots of energy and be excited about new projects. And then I would just burn out or just get bored. So I got in this um, because I did really well and enjoyed strategic planning when I worked in corporate organizations. And I loved mentoring people and helping them set goals that were realistic for their businesses. And then also working with people to set realistic goals for themselves. And once I found out that I had ADHD, everything started to click. So my multi-passionate ability, I have gone from Working in radio to publishing to marketing to um, working with people and individuals and consulting. And this landed in it. I feel like it's all of the mixtures together and really being able to help people do something and succeed in their life. And so, my mantra is I help people with ADHD reach their big audacious goals without burning out. And that is what I strive to do every day. And I finally was able to figure out how to do that for myself. And I want to share it with other people.
0: That's that's amazing. Um did you and it's funny cuz you you said it hit you later in life. That's what happened to me. It happened I think around 25 and being mm-hmm. in broadcasting and it affects everybody differently. Um yeah. I how did it affect you and how did you figure out you had it?
1: So I was diagnosed with dyslexia when I was in high school. And um, when that happens, sometimes you're able, you're allowed to have accommodations in school, which is wonderful. So you can get extended testing time, you can go to a different place to take the test, so you can focus, extra tutoring, things of that nature. But it's all about giving you some extra versus giving you actual strategies to get help. Um, So it impacted me later in life because what I was needing at work were accommodations because you can get accommodations if you have certain paperwork from your doctor. So I went to go get that paperwork and they said, well, you know, you don't have your official paperwork from your high school. So we really it'd be beneficial for you to get re-diagnosed again. And I was like, fine. (laughs) So I went through this diagnostic exam. And I will be frank, like, A, insurance doesn't pay for it. And B, it's expensive. And C, it was exhausting. And it was a little traumatizing. And so at the end of it, though, they said, we think you also have ADHD. And I I was shocked. But it explained so much. And what happened to me later in life is that I had all all these coping strategies in place. I was incredibly what it looked like I was incredibly organized, but if I wasn't, I would fall apart because it it's just kind of how life went for me. And as I, you know, got married, had a kid, went through a divorce, went through life, pandemic, all of it, all of those coping strategies no longer worked, which is very common for adults with ADHD as they've gone through their life. Their coping strategies that they thought were just normal living were actually strategies for them to function. And Mm -hmm. so as those things that used to work for me were stripped away, I didn't know what to do anymore. So I went to my bosses and the HR department asking for accommodations once I got that diagnosis and was able to get them, thankfully. And you can't always get everything you want, but it basically started manifesting in other ways where my focus was terrible, my memory was getting worse, and I needed ways and strategies to to be able to function in life and at work in general. And so that's, that started my journey, getting, getting to this place, which was very different from when I was younger.
0: Yeah. It's just interesting how we cope with things. Cause I didn't find out until I was about 25, but in high school without knowing, and I mean, I graduated 04. So from 2000 to 2004, that's when mm-hmm. I was in high school. And I just remember like studying for tests and it's just, I could study forever and still I would get like, I would either fail or get C's. So for me, it was easier to cheat. And I cheated a lot. Like if I seriously could write a book on high school cheat, like, and it's just funny because it was almost like a a survival tactic because I had to pass. So, I mean, I would... They're the lengths that I would go through to get stuff done was insane. And I remember this girl turned around because I used to pay her to let me look at her math test. She's like, you do know you can study for this, right? And I'm like, yeah, just uh, I it's like, yeah, I could, but it just doesn't work. And But at the time, I just didn't know what it was. And even if I did, I feel like I just wouldn't want to be treated different. I don't know. And then- That's right. And then when I was, yeah. I figured it out when I was uh, in my first news job. And reading a teleprompter is my Achilles heel because yeah. the way dyslexia, uh, and I'm self diagnosed, by the way, and we could, we'll talk about that in a second. But the way it affects me is when I read, all the sentences run together as one. And in about every third or fourth sentence, it like jolts. And that's if I'm holding it still. So yes. imagine. That happening while words are moving. Yeah, exactly. And my news director one time, he's like, man, he's like, I have never met somebody who can do a live shot with no script, talk for 30 minutes without stopping, missing a beat. But when the words are directly in front of you, he's like, you never have a clean read. You always stumble. And I was like, I I don't know. I don't know. And then I Googled it and it was like, oh, signs of dyslexic. I'm like, that's not it. And then, and then it happened at another job. And I was like, I really need to nip this in the bud. And that's what it was. And I was just like, uh (laughs) uh-oh, like how am I supposed to do my job when I can not read? And I can read, but- You can read, of
1: course you can. Yeah. Yeah.
0: But it's just weird because I've had to figure out, because I'm curious what your strategies are and how it affects you and how you deal with it. Because even when I'm doing like YouTube videos- I still Mm -hmm. use a prompter, but like I have found little ways to like shift the words over so I can like process, but I still screw up all the time.
1: And the experience that you're describing is on point for dyslexia. And so that's one of those things where you do develop your own coping strategies. Some people find it helpful to do different types of font types that are better for dyslexics. And so there's, and so there's different font types, especially now, because there's more research about it. And there's more get this people who are neurodivergent, autistic, dyslexic, ADHD, highly creative people, incredibly passionate people. And so they started making fonts that make more sense for their brains, and it's faster to read. And so I can share some of those um, with you. Um, that you can share with your audience. I forget the titles of them. Of course, I can yeah.
0: have the titles. Yeah, are. it's okay. We'll, we'll um, put in the we'll put it in the description be the below. Yeah,
1: yeah. So yeah, I can definitely share that. But it has helped because it gives you the ability to separate the words out, mm-hmm. and that way, the problem that you're having with the teleprompter is lessened. And so there's tools like that. So people use those fonts when they're do- using e-readers. They use those fonts when they're just reading on their computer and they, it's a font that you can install. Some of them are free. Some of them are not. Um, but yeah, there's certain tools like that, that people are using to continue to learn and read, but it's, it's a challenge for sure. And mine is very similar where I can see the word at the beginning of the end, but the letters in the middle, I, I know they're there but I can't really read them very well. Mm-hmm. Like I sounding out words is difficult for me, especially if they're very complicated.
0: Yeah. So. And, yeah. And even in news, when I'm having to like read, like where words are very important, like I yes. would read something and then we would go back and watch it. And they're like, what did you say here? Why did you say that? And I'm like, what do you mean? And I look yeah. back and I was, he's like, the words are right there. And I get that used to trigger me so bad. Cause it's like, not get mad at them, but get mad at myself. And it's like you, and I always say, and I don't know, I don't know if you relate to this as well, but I felt stupid and people can come. I have the thickest skin known to man, like say what you want, like whatever. But for some reason, that is the worst thing you could possibly say to me. And like, it's bad. Like it's, I mean, I'm, you know, I've coped with that as well, but I don't know if you can relate to that as well.
1: And that is, an I wish I didn't have to say it like this, but it is so common to hear people with ADHD and dyslexia or autism when people who are neurotypical, meaning they don't have brains that are wired like ours, Mm -hmm. um, come and say, this is so easy. Why can't you do this?
0: Oh, yeah, that was that
1: kids with um, ADHD, dyslexia, autism are told roughly 20,000 times more that either they're wrong or they're redirected in childhood. And that hits really difficult for people like us with a neurodiverse brain because we start to believe it. We start to believe that there is something inherently wrong with us. And the reality is that there's not. The reality is that we just don't fit in the box that you want to put us in. And this world was built for a neurotypical world where our brains are just very different. And we the, the problem is that neurotypicals don't necessarily see, it's not a problem. The beauty of our brains that neurotypicals don't see is that it might take us a little bit longer to get a concept. But once we do, we're connecting it to all of the multi-passionate endeavors that we've had throughout our life. So we can see three dimensions of a problem and solution. And so, but we can't get there until we recognize that we're not stupid, that we're not dumb, that we're not slow, it's, it's one of those things where we have to learn to empower ourselves to be who we really are and use the brain that we were beautifully given. But that's yeah. a challenge in a neurotypical world when they see something as easy, quote unquote easy, and it might be easy for them, but for us, it, it's not.
0: Yeah, it's so funny you say that because like I always tell people I have a super long learning curve, but once I've got it, I've got it, I call it the click. Because when I had to go back to my first news job, like I was on camera, I had on camera experience, but it was just different from what I was doing here in Atlanta to Colorado. And it was like, I was starting over, but once I had enough reps it like, I mean, my first job was a weatherman, right? Mm -hmm. I was terrible for like six to eight months, but it was interesting because there was three of us, the main guy. And then the main guy was like on vacation for three months for whatever reason. The morning guy quit. And then so I was the only guy. So I was working around the clock, constantly just falling on my face. But yeah. then something happened one day where it just clicked. Like I felt like my brain shift. It was almost like a puzzle, like one of those maze things you see in the movies just shift and clicked and I could do there's weather. no stopping you. Yeah, I could do that in my sleep. There was times where I would like black out during a weather cast and yes. Yeah. And then I would come back and we would like go to commercial and my boss slash news director would be like, dude, what was that? That was the best one you've done. And, and you're I was, like, he, I, I don't know what I did. I have no idea what I said. I was like, <laughs> I have no idea what I just said. He's like, yeah. what do you mean? He's like, ha ha. i like, no, seriously, I blacked out. Like, I literally have no yeah. idea what just happened.
1: Absolutely. And he yeah. looked at so, me like
0: I was crazy.
1: Yeah. And that, but that happens to us all the time. When we get in our zone of genius, we're mm-hmm. able to just go. Um, so it's very common that I hear from people who are in roles like you have been as a journalist. It's high intense You know, crisis management, you're dealing with lots of things on the fly, but that sometimes can feed our ADHD because we're very good in crisis. Mm -hmm. You can come to us and we will be able to help you figure out a complex problem at the speed of light because our brains uh, react to that urgency. Mm. And so we, we are able to prioritize that work in front of us when it's urgent and in a crisis, especially for like people we love or something we're passionate about. Or a legit crisis like a flood, or you're dealing with something insane.
0: So, and does it does it affect you as well when you when you're talking about how uh, the problem, like almost problem solving, just on a different level? Like, I always see like no matter what, whether it's washing the car, driving or anything, I feel like my brain automatically goes to protective mode or like it sees what could go wrong and then works backwards. Like, okay, well, you know, you just got to make sure you pull your car up further so it doesn't hit this. Or it's like, you could see like almost all the problems happening in real time in your head. And then it's like, you get in front of it. Does that make sense?
1: It absolutely does. And there's two things at play there that I've seen and read about when it comes to our brains as people with ADHD. One of them is since we've been redirected so many times, it's like that um, that anxiety mm-hmm. about doing something incorrectly, something seemingly simple. So we have that anxiety that is working with us at that moment, thinking about everything that could go wrong. So we're trying to be perfectionists when we don't allow ourselves the grace to just be. Mm-hmm. And so there's that. And then there's also our brain is constantly connected to all of the other experiences that we've had. And either we're trying to prevent it from happening or we, we just see the world around us differently. And we can mm-hmm. see all the different ways in which the street and the traffic are coming together. And we we're trying to be cautious to prevent a wreck or to properly parallel park. And we are understanding the world in a multi-sensory way where not everybody is pulling in all those inputs. We are highly mm-hmm. sensitive people that, and depending on the different type of ADHD that you have.
0: Yeah. yeah. And, uh, what would you say? And we were kind of talking about tips earlier, as far as like mm-hmm. fonts for words and stuff. And I wanted to kind of go yeah. back to that for a second. Um, as far as I feel like people with ADHD or dyslexic, um, dyslexia, as far as like getting motivated and getting stuff done, cause yeah. I, myself like super passionate, like and I'm O C D, like once I have my like eyes set on something that I want, it's like go time. But yes. I find it sometimes or a lot of times, or it's just, oh man, it's just so hard to just get that ball rolling. And it feels like yeah. I, I always make the reference of it's like I feel like I'm looking up at Mount Everest and it's just like, how is this going to happen? Mm. I get overwhelmed. You start thinking about all the bad stuff, and it's just like. You, you get so yeah. overwhelmed, you literally do nothing. Like it freezes you.
1: You get an ADHD paralysis.
0: Yeah. Or analysis yeah. paralysis, whatever you want exactly. to call it. Exactly.
1: Yep. So when it comes how to- <laughs> How do you get out of that? How do you get out of the paralysis? So there's a couple of things there. One, it's energy levels. So sometimes when you get into the paralysis, you have to stop, acknowledge the paralysis, and ask yourself- why am I feeling this way right now? Is it because the project is so overwhelming or is it because I have been running myself ragged for the past three days thinking I can finish a quarter's worth of projects in three days? Because I have before, because ADHDers sometimes have extremely high energy levels and we achieve more than a day than some people do in a week. It's just sometimes how it works. So you have to allow yourself that space to acknowledge what the feelings that you're having investigate what's going on in your mind and in your body. Like, am I feeling anxious about this project because I don't know the first step or are there, or there, is there a lot of pressure about this? Or do I legit not know how, where to start? Mm-hmm. And so if you can identify if it's energy, if you're just low energy, you might need to set aside what you need to do, write down what you need to take care of, but give yourself some time to rest and identify what resting looks like for you. Cause it's different for every ADHD um, and cause it could mean on the couch with Netflix for some, and it could mean going on a jog with your dog for others. And so there's that. And, but if you are in one of those spaces where it's not an energy level issue, it could be that you literally don't know the first step to take. And so what I coach my clients on is identify the first three steps you have to take and say them out loud. So that might be, And I had to do this to myself the other day, get out of bed, put your feet on the floor, make your bed and kind of go and get the ball rolling just on simple things throughout the day. And when you get to the point of needing to do work, for example, I've got a big project that I need to start today. And so I'm going to start by writing down the first three steps I had to take. And I set a timer for 20 minutes. That's it. And so I start the project start by the first three steps. And usually by the time the timer goes off, I'm already on a roll and I can keep going. But if the timer goes off and I'm still just not doing it, I give myself a break. Mm -hmm. I write down the next step that I'm going to take, and I'm going to come back to it later on. So a lot of it just comes down to understanding, is it your energy level or do you just need to do slow steps, which is what I call, you know, setting the timer and the top three steps you got to do.
0: It's like I said, you're just it's just so weird because like everything you just said, I mean, I hit like just can relate to it's just like bing, like the gate as far as getting out of bed, I don't have a problem with, but I have like I-, I saw some motivational video from some like high rank general or something that was like the first thing you need to do is like make your bed. And it's just like just to get the ball rolling. So for yeah. I heard that a couple years ago, and it's like I've just always done it. And Mm -hmm. it's so funny. You mentioned the timer thing. Give me two seconds. I'm not even going to edit this out because I think you'll find this really funny. I got to get something. Give me two seconds. Hold on. Absolutely. All right.
1: Oh boy. Yes. I have one of those. I don't have it right here in front of me, but I have it on my debt, my workstation in the other room.
0: So, yep. for those of you not watching, what is what am I holding in my hand?
1: You're holding a timer, a box, a cube, a cube. and on each side has numbers on it. 5, 15, 30, and 60, right? Yep. Yep.
0: Yep. And yep. oddly enough, that thing, like, it's weird that thing was like maybe five bucks and it's yeah you could tell it was obviously made overseas i mean it's it's not the most glamorous thing but for five bucks that thing will keep you in line and
1: i -hmm. i have
0: to take it with me everywhere (laughs) yeah
1: and what's funny is that the whole making the bed thing there are some ADHDers that that doesn't work for them they but they what i tell them is that they've got a different way to get their ball rolling or their domino effect happening. And, but timers, I have the cube one that you have, and then I have a visual timer so I can see how long stuff takes me to do, like actually see it because we have time blindness where it's like, we know that a movie will take an hour and a half, roughly maybe two hours, but we don't recognize that it might take us three hours to do something around the house when we think it's going to take 15 and it's, you know, or the opposite is true. It's like, we think somebody's going to, something's going to take 20 minutes and it takes five. And yeah. so those timers are helpful because I, I end up gamifying my house chores with those. And so I'm like, okay, I do not want to clean my house, but my house is a mess, hot mess, things are everywhere. And it's making me really, it's challenging me to actually be productive and, and do my jobs. Um, so I turn it to 20 minutes or turn it to 30 minutes, turn on some music, things that are going to get me moving. And I'm like, how much can I clean in this living room? And how much laundry can I fold in this amount of time? And honestly, nine times out of 10, I, I finish before the timer goes off. And I'm like, wow, that was not that bad. Um, And,
0: and if you didn't have the timer on, it would probably take you over an hour.
1: Oh yeah, no, 100 percent It totally would, because I've done it before where I'm just like, why is this taking me so long? But gamifying is a great way to do it. ADHD years, we do competition even just with ourselves really well. So if you have um challenges with motivation, sometimes gamifying, body doubling. I don't know if you've heard of body doubling before.
0: No, I'm super curious because gamifying, we'll talk about it in a set we'll go back to in a second, because I do that with. That, yeah, we'll go back to that. But yeah, tell me yeah. more about the, uh, the body yeah.
1: doubling is very common. And I encourage my clients to do that as well. Um, basically what that is, is that you can't get stuff done unless somebody is sitting with you. They don't have to be working hmm. with you. They don't have to be babysitting you. But, you just need somebody else present. And I use this even with, I've got a, I've got a child who is in elementary school and he knows I have ADHD. And sometimes I'll be like, Dude, can you just come sit next to me and play your video game while I pay bills? And he's like, sure, Mom. Like, and he comes and brings his switch in and just sits next to me, has his headphones on. I just need somebody else there. So there's a lot of online platforms. TikTok has lots of communities for called work buddies where they'll go on a, a TikTok live and they're just working. So they have virtual co working spaces where it's like, okay, tell me what your goals are for the next 25 minutes. And everybody puts their goals into the chat, and then somebody's like, "Okay, Bob, 25 minutes is over. Did you finish paying your electric bill?"
0: <laughs> that that is so funny because I've been doing I've been doing this on um, just like unbeknownst to like what the actual name was because even working yeah. in newsrooms, like I would get my story done early and back to the studio. So I'm just like working by myself, taking my sweet ass time. And then yeah. all of a sudden everybody gets back and then I'm just like, you know, I started getting, yeah. getting on it. So that is so interesting. I've noticed yeah. that when you're around people, it definitely helps even in like, ver- like you said, like virtual settings. I've done that before where me and my mm-hmm. buddy will just be on Google hangout and you can see them in the corner yeah. of your screen, but we're not even talking. We're just working. Like you would never, like you would never know but yeah. that is super interesting.
1: Yeah. I'll have a I'm a part of a ADHD female entrepreneurs group and they have those a couple of times a week where it's just a virtual group of p- women who are entrepreneurs with ADHD and we get on, tell each other what our goals are for the hour and then everybody goes on mute. It's Genius. so and people who are neurotypical are like, that seems weird now. And the rest of us are looking at each other, like, yeah, that makes sense. Yeah. Have somebody else just cool, that sounds great. Um, so those are some of the tools when it comes to motivation that you can use. And you from timers to body doubling to identifying your energy levels, there's lots of things to do. Yeah.
0: Yeah. And it's like I said, I've been doing a lot of things like gamifying. I use that word a lot. And it's funny that it's an actual term. Um, yeah. because like um, one of the pillars for my program is presence, like your online presence or your, or excuse me, like your on camera presence. To like be yourself and stuff, but to get to that, like I'm, I've been super into fitness for ever since high school, and it's like if you feel good, you're gonna, be, you, if you feel good, you yeah. look good, you're just gonna be completely different. Like I feel a difference on day three, uh, kind of what I have my students go through. Mm-hmm. And it's like I said, it's, it's intermittent fasting mixed with like uh, calorie tracking, but the industry, the fitness industry demonizes calorie tracking, but it's like, I've made it fun, like a game. Yeah. So it's like, yeah. oh, well I eat this. So it's like, now I can get this. So I don't go over this number. And it's like, even if I went over a little tomorrow, all I have to do is fast, just a little bit longer and then eat this and like eat good, like Food mm-hmm. that's good, like pizza, donuts, c- cake. Like, I got obsessed with like protein pancakes. Like, it's just because when people think diet, it's just it sucks and it's not sustainable. Yeah. But when you gamify it and it's like you actually don't have to give up foods that you actually like, you just gotta tweak them a little bit. It like right. tricks your brain into like, this is what awesome. else can I do? Yeah, yep, absolutely, yep. yep. So we talked a lot about um body doubling, was it called? Body, body doubling, doubling yeah. and oh crap, now now the ADHD is kicking it. What was it in gamifying? Um yep. working in corporate America, what are the what did we miss anything that we were as far as uh what you see people have and how they deal with it?
1: Oh yeah. So when you work in corporate America, I spent about 15 years working in corporate America. And one of the biggest challenges is that for people with ADHD is when you're trying to move up the ladder, so to speak, you take on what other people view as success. And so you see promotions, you see new projects, you see all these new exciting opportunities, and sometimes you can't figure out what you want because we inherently have, you know, we're multi-passionate people. Our brains are ignited by novelty and urgency. And so when there's a new project that's exciting and important to the organization, we want to be a part of it. And we can bring a lot to the table um, more often than not. And so when I work with people who are in corporate America and they're seeing their colleagues outpace them for promotions, they feel like they're being left behind. They're not valued but they also feel burned out and taken advantage of. And so you're laughing.
0: <laughs> I know because oh my god, you're just like, I'm like "Yes, I yeah. have so many examples of this, but I don't want to get." Yes. Yeah, <laughs> like you're Yeah.
1: They they feel burned out and taken advantage of for many reasons. The most typical one, and I experienced this too, is that they take on so much. They are doing so many projects and they're dependent on so much because their ability to jump right in, to ignite passion, to share projects, to really research and envelop themselves in, this, in new things that they get buried. And then what happens is that everybody else's projects are their projects. And then they get pigeon held into a certain area. And so what happens then is that instead of, you know, that really crappy advice of like be present, which is what I can't stand when, you know, people tell women that it's like, well, I am present. I'm ignored. That's a different conversation. But um, that happens with people with ADHD, men and women all the time. And it's even worse if, you know, if you're a woman or a person of color or any other marginalized group. So it just starts to get magnified over and over. And so for people in corporate America, when they go through those things, they end up getting burned out faster because they think their hard work is a part of you know, their, their pride, how they connect back with the business. But it's the work that they're doing isn't often rewarded the same way that a neurotypicals is. Hmm. So our strengths end up sometimes being our, our downfall, if not properly harnessed. Within themselves in
0: corporate America. So. And how, yeah. And how, and I was, cause like when you said you do it for corporations, I was a little shocked because I know just like in schools, there's mm-hmm. not many, like I feel like still our public education system just doesn't know still what to do. And then it's Correct. like, okay, well, if they don't know what to do, how are these corporations, how do they know what to do? And it's like the yes. people, who, I mean, I'm self diagnosed. Like, yeah. I've never Which had a is doctor. It's still a
1: valid t- diagnosis, by the way.
0: Yeah. Cause I mean, I, w- cause people are like, well, you're self diagnosed. It's like, I literally looked at every single symptom. This is not WebMD where it's like, oh, yeah, I could be dying tomorrow, whatever. Yeah, it's like, it's no. not it's,
1: yeah. Yeah.
0: It's like every single thing. I was like, uh huh, uh huh, uh huh. <laughs> yeah. So it's like, I didn't even know corporations were hiring. For a position like that and the people who work there, how do they know, you know, some people ignore it. I ignored it forever. And then it's like, it was too late when I found out and then it's like, well, what do I do? And then how do I know my company has a person like you?
1: So I... My goal is to work with companies as um, somebody who can consult with them and to empower their managers and their leaders to understand the value in our humanity and not to infantilize. I can never say that word correctly yeah. infantilize us because we don't need somebody necessarily to hold our hand. We need them to understand how our brains work and how we work. That, you know, we could go three weeks working constantly for a huge launch right but like any human we can't keep up at that pace Mm. but sometimes we feel like we need to power through but it might take us a little bit longer to rest up and get back on a regular pace again and so the the challenge that you mentioned is like in schools they don't they still don't necessarily know how to work with brains like ours they don't I, teachers aren't given the resources, the research isn't always completely there. It's only done in one type of ADHD in the past. So in my mind, all that does is reinforce the need for corporations and organizations, nonprofits, big, small, to have people in the diversity, equity, inclusion space focusing on neurodiversity. So that we're able to be at the table to say, yes, and. Yes, we are valuable employees. You should not exploit us just like you shouldn't exploit other people with disabilities. And we're also here to be amazing colleagues and to be phenomenal, we're, we're incredibly loyal, we're thoughtful, we're empathetic, we can read rooms, which is a part of the challenge too sometimes because we feel other people's feelings very deeply. And so it's to me, it without having it in school systems done very well at all, if at all, it just elevates the reason and the importance for it to be an opportunity for businesses to be leaders in that space,
0: yep <laughs> <laughs> yep <laughs> but it's one of but it's one of those things where it's like I always treat it like i i I just even working in news and working in Hollywood, I saw so many things and got passed up for so many things, but it's just like I kind of yeah. chalked it up to where it's not. I mean, unfortunately, like life isn't. You're not fair. hustling
1: hard enough, or you don't want it enough.
0: Yeah, that, and it's just that at some point, it's just like you got to tap out. But you have got, to, but it's just like anything else. Like you've got to figure it out. Like on, like life to me, I was just, I've always been a pick, pick yourself up by your bootstraps thing. Like if it's not yep. working, you need to figure it out. Like life is not fair, and no one owes you anything. And if right. people are going to pass you up for a skin color, an orientation, a disability, then there are people out there and that sucks. But the, once again, that's it's life and you've got to figure it out. Like even when yeah. I was in LA, I had my dream job on the red carpet and interviewing celebrities and I got passed up so many times. And it's just at some point, you know, you just got to step back and it's like it's and I don't know how much. Uh, you know about that industry where it's like for any one of those jobs, you have to have a demo reel, which is like a video uh, resume. You've got to go through the audition process. So you have to have headshots. Mm -hmm. So you're judged immediately by what you look at. Right. Mm -hmm. So that's two hurdles. Uh, You've got to find an agent, a good agent. That should be like 10 steps. And then, Mm -hmm. okay, you get the audition. But then it's like then you have to do a second audition, then a third, then a fourth meeting with the producer, and you may get the job. So the process your process
1: is onerous.
0: Well, you have no control, and it took me forever. And finally, I was on a phone, I was on a Zoom call when the um, when the pandemic first hit, and the actors and that we were all on the uh, call with were freaking out because mm. like. The entertainment industry shut down like right, oh, right in the beginning of March, two years ago, right when it first hit. And I'm thinking to myself, I was like, I don't know why the word pathetic like came through my head, mm-hmm. but I was like, I feel like we are like begging for our job. Like, please hire me. I was like, mm-hmm. this is not the move. Like, I am not going to allow my future to be dependent on 10 other people who may or may not like me. And it's like, this is not it. So I have to venture out and start my own business. Put all my knowledge, kind of like what you're seeing in this new creator movement, and just shift. So do it's you just know? A, go
1: ahead. Uh, do you know the percentage of the percentage of the likelihood for somebody with ADHD to open their own business?
0: No. Is what is 300, it?
1: Three hundred percent. more likely to open your own business.
0: And that's a good thing.
1: (laughs) Yes, I completely agree. And the challenge that I also heard when you're telling that story is as somebody else with ADHD, you have struggled a lot and you didn't always understand why. And you also had to pick yourself up and be like, I'm having a bad day. This is supposed to be really easy, but I found ways to work around it. You're constantly innovating and constantly finding a new way to do it better, faster, cheaper, and new, you know, different ways to do things. And sometimes when something stops working, it's devastating, but it also is like, okay, this is, this is what I, this is all I know. Mm -hmm. So people who are neurotypical, who have gone through, you know, the normal life cadence of like college, job, promotion, doing all the right things, saying, being able to say no to projects so they can prioritize other work that's important to their boss. Like they can go through that cadence. And then when they're hit with a wall, like the pandemic, they're frozen. They're not sure what to do. And so we, and this is another great example of people with ADHD being amazing in a crisis because this is what we do. Like we know how to innovate and pivot and sometimes people hate us for it, but the reality is, is that those are valuable tools that you can bring to yourself and your families and your communities as a whole being that because in those moments, we might seem scattered other times, but in those moments, we are a guidepost because we are firmly planted and we know that we can get through this.
0: When you explain that to CEOs and business owners, how did they usually take that? Or what what type of reaction do they usually have?
1: When I'm doing uh, like sales calls and trying to understand what their needs are, typically they come at it from a, this is a checklist on a DEI initiative we have. And when I approach it, and this is what I try to do, I approach it in that way that I just said that have you needed to pivot? Do you have a challenge with change? Do you have people who are, are you're wanting them to ask more questions and be curious? This is what people f- with neurodiverse brains bring. Dyslexics have the ability to think in three dimensions. Neurotypicals don't. And that's something that is very difficult for neurotypicals to understand is that dyslexics are able to think in multi-dimensions and to fit things in just by looking at it. And that's incredible when you're talking about engineers, when you're talking, but that engineer might need somebody to double check and a partner to work with for some parts of the project, but they're able to see multi-dimensions without even doing scales on a computer. So when I talk about, I focus on problem solving, I focus on the markets because I like to, my, one of my hyper fixations that I do is I'm constantly looking at markets in the news as somebody who wanted to go into journalism and radio. That's just something that I st- still feeds me. And so I bring those things up and say, what if you had somebody that in a crisis, they stood there as calm as day? Hmm. because that is what, when their brain is activated and they can, they've already got the 15th step going on in their brain that they can activate with other people. What if you had that person on your team? And then when it was calm, that is the time where they, you know, did other things and they're able to be a motivator for the team and they're able to do project management and really be that consistent guidepost.
0: It's so interesting. Yeah, nope. Sorry. Go ahead. Nope, go ahead. Uh, it's so funny you said how our brain shifts in a crisis because working in news, yeah, the world's on fire all the time. And yeah. while everyone was like freak, I'll never forget this in my first job. I guess like the this basically the system that allows you to go on TV went down, and oh. everybody was running around like you just kicked over an anthill, right? <laughs> and I am. Cool as a cucumber. I'm just like I could almost like feel this. I don't know how to describe it, but it was just like this internal like it was like a burn, but it was good. And it was just like, okay, I am going to like everyone, like I said, I'm everything's almost in slow motion. Everybody's running around. Yes. And I've got tunnel vision. And yep. when I'm on the weather wall, they're like they're in my ear, like extend, yep. extend, extend. And I am just dragging this weather cast out while people are running through the studios. Everywhere. like, And I'm just like, go. And they're just like, keep going, keep going, keep going. And I just kept going. It's just weird how that works. And it's just from like, I know we don't have like a neurological scan or something, but it would be really interesting to see like in a time of crisis, I don't know how you would do that on yeah, how the brain Actually, would work like that. But that's like I said, it's just crazy. You said it because I've just, it's just hitting so close to home, just everything you're saying. It's like you know what you're talking about.
1: Yeah, (laughs) that's the goal, right? So, the funny thing there is that I've also tried to caution people that you can't live in that space constantly, (laughs) that space of panic and that space of crisis, because those hormone levels will, you know, it can do damage to you, right? And so when you only live in a constant state of crisis, which happens to a lot of people with trauma, you know, with their living environment, you have to learn to uncondition that so you can rest, so you can be that person that you can be. So, yeah, so absolutely. So when you talk with organizations, when you do the news, if you had that every single day, which the news and journalism, like, yeah, the world is always on fire. There's always something to be hot about. hmm And you also have to find that balance of giving yourself that space to rest so that you can recharge your batteries.
0: Yeah, it's yeah. News is definitely interesting. Um, And this is pre-2016 when Mm -hmm. news was news. And we can tell that's a whole different conversation, too. Um, Man, there's just uh, I'm just trying to think. So when you with corporations and stuff, but are they... Are you? Is your goal to, I mean, obviously you want to, you know, stay on with these corporations and let them no, actually know, scrap everything I just said. Sorry. I just remember what I was going to say. My brain just clicked right there. Yeah. Um, do you think it is a, the reason I think there's not a lot of help for dyslexics and ADHD or people don't know what to do or just how people view it? is because just the buzzword is learning disorder when it's actually, in my opinion, a strength?
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, the sti- it comes down to stigma and mm. not understanding. And so, yeah, I mean, it's... ADHD is considered um, a disorder, 100%, and you can get... It's a something that you can get accommodations for under the American Disabilities Act. And so people position it as a liability sometimes. They're like, well, so like, for example, I have ADHD and dyslexia and I used to work in revenue management. It actually is incredibly interesting to me because you're dealing with data sets coming from all over the company, right? And you're aligning different things with different data points. And that to me was phenomenal. And when I went in to ask for accommodations, I was met with comments like, but they allow you to work with numbers. And I looked at her Mm
0: -hmm. and she goes,
1: I, I, I see what I did there. And I was like, good. What did you do? (laughs) And she was like, I should not have, she's like, I made a assumption. And I was like, yes, you did. It's a stigma. It's a myth. So it's like, yes, we can make mistakes, but so can neurotypicals. Like, I mean, get over yourself. Um, and so when I when the whole thing about opening up people's minds to realizing that it's a stigma and that we can work through the challenges that they have about these people quote unquote mm-hmm. or this type of person which is what I would hear a lot when I was when I'm talking to leaders is that they're worried about the liabilities. They're also worried about not understanding how to support because Managers of yesteryear were told that people who reported to them should acclimate to their management style. Mm. Leaders now, good leaders now, understand that you are there to serve the people that report to you and other people in an organization, right? So that change in in generations, right? There, We still have lots of people who still prescribe to that I'm your manager, you deal with my communication style, we still have that toxicity. But we're having a shift where people are saying like I want to be a servant to people who work with me. And I want to serve not just my colleagues but the people who report directly to me. And so working with them on a leadership mindset where they're there to be like a servant leader because at the end of the day all it is is realizing that everybody kind of has a different way of working because we're humans. And our brains work differently than a neurotypicals. It doesn't make them any less valuable. It doesn't make them any less skilled. They're just different. And that's okay. And so really kind of it, I try to come at it from a leadership perspective versus from like an inefficient management or stigma heavy, just recognizing some of the ways that they can work with people with ADHD or dyslexia.
0: And do you find that it's like a 50-50 split as far as companies being on board with it and then other companies just kind of like, meh, we'll get to it later or just not taking it as serious?
1: I will be frank. Most people do not take it very seriously and they are losing yep. out. Um, so most of the conversations I've had recently with individuals who are interested in expanding their diversity, equity, and inclusion it's that thing where they thought that D, quote DEI would be over by now, and I'm just like, you are missing the point of diversity, equity, and inclusion. If you feel like it's a fad, it's like it's a fad, because I mean, it's it's not going to go away. Like people are different, and you have different ways that you can include various populations in the work that you do, whether you're a nonprofit, a for-profit corporation, or an association. And understanding the different needs of different populations is critical to consistent service, to profitability. That's always what I like to talk about is profitability, and because that's what corporations want to know about. And if you are able to engage an employee a certain way, that actually behooves your organization, not just in loyalty and retention, but engagement in the work that they're doing over time, which helps the business completely.
0: And I know, and I know you like working with corporations, but we were talking about how the, you know, it's 300% of us decide to start their own thing. And it, you know, you have your own thing as well. Um, at any point, do you plan on going full time on what you're doing now and kind of let corporations maybe even deal like almost like you, I tried to tell you guys, you're not listening. I'm going to do this full time and almost because I don't know about you, but I've almost gone full fledged into like convincing everybody to just stop working for somebody else and start your own thing. So you can basically be free to you with your creativity. You know, you don't feel like you're stupid or you don't like you just kind of do it yourself and not rely on these companies that truly don't give a flip about you.
1: Yeah. So I do think that there are some companies that are trying, Um, but I do, I am going in full time on one-to-one coaching with employee, with people with ADHD. Um, I actually just launched it a couple of weeks ago for people with ADHD that work in the corporate world. So I do, I was talking with a woman this week who is incredibly creative and she sees corporate but she's she she's burning out of the corporate life right mm-hmm. so she's trying to find coping strategies to help learn how to manage her energy so that's what we're focused on mm-hmm. and i know whenever i say energy it sounds so like woo woo but it's really not it it's, it,
0: <laughs> it's woo woo until it starts like happening and then you're like whoa because yeah. i was the, i was the same way i definitely came around until stuff started to shift
1: Yes, absolutely. So we're prioritizing her understanding her energy patterns, and when she can work when she shouldn't work, how to recognize when she's going into a low energy day and what like a low energy routine looks like. And the goal of that is to really get her in a position where she's able to succeed in her role. And she sees it as a means to an end. So she wants to go out on her own in the next three to five years, but she needs to heal herself first. So she has health insurance because America, so she has health insurance. So she has a steady paycheck and she has things that she wants to do financially before she jumps ship. So I'm, I'm helping her with that navigating the corporate world, especially when it comes to politics, because sometimes people with ADHD have that challenge, understanding the political game, because we tell people when we have a problem or a challenge that we might see coming up, and not everybody likes that. Mm. So we're learning to navigate those types of challenges and energy management so she can go out and do her own thing, which she'll she'll kick butt at. I know she will. So sometimes it's about preparing mm. the exit as much as it is making the exit.
0: Yeah. And is that kind of like the satisfaction you get with helping others uh, with with our – um, I'm going to say with like an, our advanced, our advanced way of thinking, um, what, what does that do for you? Like on a mental level, like, how does that make you feel when you see people like, like when things start working and you start seeing the transformations in your clients and students?
1: When I start seeing the transformations, so uh, working with people, even just a short period of time, and they're doing things like actually doing self-care. And self-care looks different for different people but they're actually doing self-care. They're setting firm boundaries than they've never set before because they've always wanted to be that "quote unquote stable person in their family." Um meaning they ended up becoming a doormat, right? Like they could they were solving everybody's problems but their own. So when I start seeing them setting boundaries and make healthy choices for themselves, it it puts me I get chills. Like it puts me on cloud 9. Like that is my favorite thing because ultimately we need to learn, learn how to work with our ADHD and stop working against it. And so when we learn to work with it, that's when, like you said, these are amazing skills to have, these are strengths. Yes, and when we have these challenges, we need to learn to work with the challenges and what they really do to us. And once we embrace those and learn coping strategies to work with them, we can catapult our strengths like a gajillion miles into the air where all the things that we know we can do, we, we will do. Yeah. And that's the beauty of it. And that's what keeps me going every single day.
0: That's awesome. Well, Christina, I could talk to you about this all day, all yeah. day. Um, but my last question is, if you could only create one more piece of content to go out into the world, to the universe, mm-hmm. and the numbers didn't matter, the analytics didn't matter, the followers, all that stuff didn't matter, what would you put out and why?
1: I would put out to tell people who are neurodivergent that they matter, their brain is important and what it's not always about production and productivity. Their amazing skills that they have are valuable and this world is better off with them than without them. And if anybody is telling you otherwise, Screw them.
0: And what? And why would you choose that piece specifically?
1: Because we're told oftentimes, and so throughout our lives, continuously that how we're thinking is weird, or wrong, or different. And history shows us that amazing innovators and amazing creative people are neurodivergent, and they've brought phenomenal art to the world. They've brought amazing, terrific um, productions. They've created new things. They've broken things down. They've stopped political movements and started new things. And I think we can be inspired and empowered by that instead of feeling like we need to be constricted.
0: Awesome. And if people want to work with you, uh, where can they find you online? Yeah,
1: so my website has neurodi- neurodivergentventures.com. Um, that goes to the, uh, I've got a free three day mini course on there where people can learn about setting ADHD friendly goals that don't burn you out. That's what I'm focusing on right now. And then I'm also on Instagram, Christina Proctor NC. And then, of course, on TikTok um, as ADHD Coach Tina.
0: Awesome. And then uh, whether you're watching this on YouTube or just listening, I will link all of her info uh, below. And Christina, once again, thank you so much for taking the time today.
1: Thank you so much, Thomas. This is a lot of fun.